Hello everyone, welcome back to the True Crime Friday podcast. It's my week this week, so I've got to do the disclaimer. And this one's a bit of a weird one, but it's definitely a weird one. The only way to describe it is weird. This is going to include mentions of satanic themes. Not the good way. Violence, uh, murder, obviously, and there will be some forms of sexual assault and all that kind of stuff in this episode. And if that is, and if there is something that you are affected by, this may not be the episode for you. Obviously, just like every time before I go into any really gory details, I'll give you a bit of a pre-warning before I go directly into them. But if this is not for you, then that is okay. I'm not completely get it. Anyway, on with the episode. Hello? Hello. How are you today? Oh, what's going on here? Why can I not hear you? I don't know. My mic's plugged in. Let's see. Oh. My mic is plugged in. I am a There we go. Discord, now? yeah, Discord just, I don't know what happened, it changed my uh, settings. Fair enough. How are you? don't know why. How are you today? I'm fine, but I might not be after this case, depending on what it is. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, I don't know how to describe this one, if I'm being completely honest. Hopefully bad. Well, yeah, it's bad. It's a serial killer, but I, I don't know how... To describe him in a way, um, kind. yeah, 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 definitely. Uh, this one is a case that is is was on a Netflix documentary, I think, last year, and a lot of people had some uh, controversial opinions on it on whether they think it was the murders were done by this particular person or not. So some people think he's a lot of people think he's innocent, but. Um, that is up to everyone's opinions, I guess. But anyway, we'll be going into the life of the person who was convicted for the crime. Because only one person has been convicted for it. So we're going to go into his shit. So we are going to cover the case of Son of Sam, a.k.a. David Berkowitz. 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 Son of Sam? Yeah. Oh, I mean, the only thing that rings the bell is the, is the band, Son of Sam. It's not um, about the band, it's about the serial killer, Son of Sam. I, I was like, uh, I was like, what? I was, I was like, thinking today, I was like, okay, I've got a bunch of cases that I've covered on Twitch before. We'll, um, revisit one of those or something. I was like, which one? I was watching Criminal Minds and they were referen- they referenced Son of Sam. So I was like, oh, well, you know what? We'll talk about David Berkowitz because I, I already knew I had like a backlog of shit on David Berkowitz. So is that another band whose name is... Probably based... Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, probably based on, yeah. So that that's the second one now then because we did the Black Dahlia murder. Yeah, yeah. And then this one, so... So, yeah, David Berkowitz was brought up by a middle-class family. He was adopted as well. Um, His birth mother 
Betty Broder grew up in Brooklyn as a poor single Jewish mother trying to cope with bringing up um, a daughter that she already had. When she had a relationship with a man named Joseph, she became pregnant by him and apparently Joseph wasn't happy about the idea of another child. So David was born on the 1st of June, 1953 and he was put up for adoption. Now, he knew at a very young age that he was adopted. He was told by his adopted parents that his birth mother had died when she gave birth to him, which wasn't true, but apparently this was the advice that was given to the parents. And this was a by the adoptive by the adoption agency. And this was a bit of advice that many agencies actually gave parents who were have who were being given children through the agencies. Apparently that was whenever a parent would be like, So what do we do? if they start questioning or they find out they're adopted, what do we tell them? And they just basically... Because for some people, it can be something tragic, like, yes, the parents died, or it could be they just didn't want you and that can be a bit hard to hear, or it could have been, like, a really horrific thing that resulted in that person being pregnant. So the agencies just went, oh, just tell them that, you know, the parents are dead make them tell them the parents tell them that the mum died giving birth to them which will definitely make them feel like shit um so david was taken in by nathan and pearl berkowitz who absolutely adored him there is nothing in his childhood that indicates that he would become a serial killer he is one of those that had a very normal background like nothing was wrong about the parents there was no abuse in the home nothing like that uh david so uh his adoptive father nathan was very hard working and worked in a hardware store uh pearl was a homemaker so she stayed at home looking after david a lot of the time and she absolutely adored him and she was always very proud of him she was a very happy lady pretty much and he was a very well-behaved child. He did sports. He even went into the Little League. He was good at baseball and went up to went to Yankee Stadium a lot. And it was something that he absolutely loved while he was growing up. Throughout his childhood, he seemed very happy. He was, But he was always very unsettled a little bit. And he was always a bit of a bully towards the other kids. Now, he was a bully towards the other kids because he was also being bullied as well. So I guess it was like a defense mechanism. Um... The neighborhood kids used to pick on him for being adopted and they used to tell him things that basically they used to say to him that he's not a real kid because his parents didn't his birth parents didn't want him and all this kind of horrific shit. Uh, the neighborhood parents said that David was a very kind looking boy, but he had a mean streak in him and he would always pick on the other kids and he was very big for his age, especially compared to the children in the classes, so that just resulted in bullying getting progressively worse. Now, he constantly panicked as a kid and he had regular nightmares because he felt guilty that he caused his birth mum's death and he always had a constant fear that his biological father was going to find him and kill him for the fact that his mum's dead. So he had this massive fear about this happening. He used to watch horror films a lot as a child and he would hide in his wardrobe to hide away from the characters that he saw in the movies. That's not really weird. I, I've actually heard of like a lot of my friends having watched horror movies a lot as a kid and they had like I, I, like 
some had like I'm not I've had a reaction where they were terrified of it and then some just had like I didn't really give a shit kind of reactions to it like that's not really weird he was also a very big liar he always tried to big himself up a bit saying that as a kid he would sh- apparently shimmy down the drain pipe and wander the streets of New York City now this kid was scared of horror movie characters so I'm gonna say bullshit like you're scared of horror movie characters I highly fucking doubt you're walking around New York City at night like we've all watched Home Alone 2 we know what it's like to walk around New York City at night fuck that shit well, that's not a horror movie, is it? Well, no, but we've seen that bit where Kevin's walking through New York City in the middle of the night, and fuck that. Yeah. Like, that little, like, uh, like this little bastard kid walking around through New York City in the middle of the night. So, um... However, as classics as serial killer profiles go, he was a loner, and he, isol- and he was isolated. Well, he isolated himself. Like many children and teenagers, he felt unattractive and although people kept telling him he was a nice looking boy, he was like, no, I don't want that. I want people to see me as an attractive person when I'm growing up, like through my teen years, which to be fair, we've all been there. Um, he tend- he used to have this like violent streak quite a fair bit when he got a bit older and to the point where his parents actually found it difficult to cope because of his behaviour. I would say this is going towards more like he's a teenager and he's lashing out because fucking teenager but this is when he gets a bit weirder now this part's not normal for a teenager uh he was prone to abuse animals and there was one instance where he actually poisoned his mum's pet parakeet because he felt like the parakeet was a rival for her affection oh not the parakeet come on man poison the fucking bird he was also rather aggressive so he would he start throwing things at his mum and get very violent. Actually, when he was only ten, she tried to get him help tried to get him some help by taking him to a child psychologist. So this kid actually did get taken to go get help. Like his parents saw like warning signs of shit and they were like, I'm gonna put a stop to this and Yeah, it didn't really do much. Uh his parents his doctor parents were Jewish, so it was a very religious household. And when David had his bar mitzvah, he said he felt ashamed because he didn't feel like he was living up to the religion. But the main event that he said to have disturbed him more than anything else was... And was perhaps the reason why he was so bitter about life when he got older was that when he was a teenager, he lost his adoptive mother, Pearl, to breast cancer. Now, Pearl had kept it quiet that she had been diagnosed with breast cancer. She didn't want to tell David, um, so she kept it quite hidden. And there was one night, uh, Pearl and David were arguing, and then she went out to dinner that night. Now, before she left the house, he yelled at her and told her, I hate you and I wish you were dead. Now, she went out to dinner that night, and at the dinner, she collapsed and was sent to hospital, and she died in hospital that night. Um... So yeah, he literally told her, I wish you were dead, and then literally about an hour or so later, she was actually dead. So, yeah. It ended up just being David and his adoptive father in the end. 
He so David used to go and visit his mother's grave quite often. Um, but when he was visiting the grave, he also used to go and stand over the graves of young girls that had died, and he used to wonder if they were pretty or not, which is weird. That's a little. That is a little bit weird. Bit weird. I mean. I think anyone going to a graveyard and mourning the death of someone who isn't their family members and they don't really know them is still a nice thing to do, but also weird. And then taking it that step further. Well, I say weird because I don't think myself or anyone I know would just go to the graveyard and feel sorrow for someone you didn't really know. I think you'd only do it for your own family members. It's nice to do it for others. But then when he says, I wonder if they are pretty, uh... That's just another 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 thing that didn't need to be added. Why why uh, people are dead? You know, I don't I don't necessarily go about thinking. I wonder what of this person who is dead. You know. Yeah. Like yeah it yeah it's it's weird. Like he when he so he ended up flunking out of school and he just he, yeah he barely graduated. He didn't really graduate high school. He developed a fantasy relationship with one of the girls in his classes. Um, he said that she was his only girlfriend, but when she was asked about this, like, later on, uh, it turns out that she doesn't actually remember him. She just knew that he was a guy that she had a maths lesson with, but she had no idea who the fuck he was. He just kind of said that they were together, but they'd never really spoken. Uh, I I feel that, you know, the the person you like, they have no idea who you are. But you don't make a fake relationship and tell people that you were. No, I wouldn't do that. No, 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 no. I would. I would never say like, um, if someone said, "Hey, Luke, um, do you have any girlfriends?" Yeah, this person's my girlfriend, and I didn't really know them at all. Then that's a bit like too too far forward. Yeah, just a, just a bit. So after his mum died, uh, he became a lot more mentally unstable, and he thought that the world was conspiring against him. And by the time his father remarried and moved away to Florida, 18-year-old David had become increasingly isolated and cut off from society. At the same time as his sense of alienation grew, so did his cat, so did his obsession for fantasy and self-delusion. So he just started making false realities in his head. His father remarried in 1971, but David wasn't happy about the decision, and he hated his stepmom, which is the most like like stereotype with uh, your father or mum getting remarried and you hate the stepfather or mum. So he just isolated himself massively when this happened. Uh, But if you want to tick something off a bingo list when it comes to serial killers, uh, in the summer of 1971 he joined the army. And he was a very good marksman apparently. And this is kind of disturbing that he was a really good marksman because this is a very good handy skill that he learnt for uh, future things that he would do. Hey, do you, I mean, anyone who joins the army learns a lot of key and uh, insightful skills which they could use for evil when they um, get yeah. discharged or however they come out, which is sometimes or more or less the case of the people who are in the army and are serial killers. They take what they've learned to their advantage compared to people who just do it out of not having any knowledge of weaponry or using weaponry or whatever else, you know what I mean? Well, yeah. So he used to write to his dad whilst he was in the army, telling his dad about how much of a burden he felt and how he's useless and how he's ugly. And his dad didn't reply to this because 
without um his father knowing like he had without um david knowing his father and his stepmom like moved away and just completely didn't tell him where they were which uh is gonna fuck you up i'm gonna guess like you've already you feel like a burden and your dad's just like yeah see you later dude uh, so David was still a virgin when he joined the army, and which is completely fine. But the reason why I'm saying this is because his only sexual experience during his three-year service was with a sex worker. Now, this put him off sex after this, most likely, because his first time resulted in him getting an STI. STI, STD. And he ended up Getting a lot of anger and frustration aimed at women because of this. I mean, that's very unlucky for your first encounter to be an STI. Because we don't call them STDs because they're going to be treated now. Um, I just think that's very bad. I mean, I can, uh, I can see why I can put you off. I mean, oh, I guess with most things, if you try it for the first time and it doesn't go well, you'd be scared to do it again. But, I mean... You know, I'm glad that his uh, sexual encounters weren't of many, because a lot of the serial killers we talk about, their sexual encounters are really fucked up. Like, I'm glad for once this person's had little to none so far fucked sexual encounters. But uh, it's a shame. I mean, especially around about this time, contracting something like that, you'd be ashamed uh, to tell anyone you'd feel. Obviously, nowadays when people get this sort of stuff, they were able to talk about it more and embrace it more and be like Look, I have this sort of thing but you know obviously back in the day when people got this sort of stuff you you, you know they tied it away because you you know society would shame upon you a bit or you'd feel a bit ashamed that you had this so uh that's a bit sad sad that, that's the I'll, I'll you know like emphasize him on that that it's quite sad you got an STI in the first time of him doing the deed with a sex worker who probably wasn't clean she's probably the around, one around this time definitely not yeah, dirty bugger. Fucking wasn't cleaning out her fanny. Um, so, yeah. That's the only thing I, I'll, I'll say that oh, I feel sorry for him on that. But nothing else. Yeah, no. Definitely nothing else. Uh, around this time, he also developed a taste for arson. So he started setting a lot of fires. Actually, fires. he set over 100 fires in the city. Damn, he is the fire starter. <laughs> He then decided to go to an adoption support group and he told them the story that his parents told him about his birth mother and everyone in the room laughed at him because they had I, all been told the same story. I mean, you go to a support place. Were they laughing and actually making fun of him or laughing in a joking way? They were probably just doing the whole like, oh, haha, yeah, we've all been told that. But you know what? Oh, okay. Because like, I was like, if they were actually laughing at him, that would have been he horrible. Make, he makes like scenarios in his head, so he's probably thought that it was worse than it was. Oh, yeah. But I guess the support group tells you it's not as bad as you think it is. You know, you can get through this sort of thing. But if they were laughing at him, yeah. that would have been horrible. So he then decided to get in touch with his dad, and he asked his dad if his mum was actually alive. And Nathan confirmed that, yes, she was alive. And this was the the advice that they were given at the time. So, despite David 
later claiming that his anger and resentment had been fueled by his mother's rejection of him. He did actually contact her in the early 70s and actually developed a relationship with her and his half-sister, Rosalind. So he actually did meet his biological mum and sister. Uh, The family, far from being hostile, were open and welcoming when they met him. But when he met his mum, he said that he was disappointed. Because he had developed this scenario in his head that his mum would be a very beautiful and confident woman. However, she was actually just a your average nerve, small and nervous woman. Like the, he, he said that there was nothing about her that was special, which is really shit to say. He was also told that a, that um, a man named Tony Falco was not his biological father, and it turns out that Tony left her, and she had an affair with a businessman, um, which was yeah his biological dad and it turns out she got pregnant by him and he demanded that she got an abortion and when she didn't um they both instead came up to the agreement that she would put david up for 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 adoption david actually uses the arguments that they had as a reasoning for the murders he said that the arguments that his mum and biological dad had while he wasn't while he was while she was pregnant with him were the reason why he ended up murdering people when he was when he was older. He said that he felt like there was a lot of negativity when I was in the room, and that's the reason why I killed all those women. N- no, David, you weren't even born. So after she gave David up for adoption, uh, they actually like his mum and biological dad actually stayed together and it, and their relationship only ended when he died of cancer when he was 65 however for some unknown reason david eventually lost interest in his in his mum and sister and stopped visiting them at one time he even randomly out of the blue told his sister and her children that he would never harm them without any of this being provoked it's a weird thing to randomly say So finding out that he wasn't wanted by his father made him again feel useless because he knew he was an accident and and in his words, never actually wanted. Dude, I was an accident. I don't give a shit. Actually kind of makes me laugh. Because I'm just like, haha, you got stuck with me. Like, it's it's fine to be an accident. Most people are. And as Family Guy said, an oops baby. I'm an oops baby, yeah. How are you? My mum was 24 when she got pregnant with me. Yeah, of course I was fucking planned. Doesn't mean... Yeah, yeah, you could have, you could have been. Like, I mean... What, two, two, like, two months after they got married, my mum was pregnant. Like, the fuck no. That is not... that Nah. Nah. Believe I mean, me, have they ever openly said to you? When I, no, yeah, I actually have had this conversation with them. I When I was a kid... I think I must have been about 10 when I first asked them. Mum went... Yeah, no, you were definitely planned. And I was like, okay, I believed her. And then years later, when I got older, I think I must have been like 18, 19, I looked at my mum and went, was that fuck planned? And she went, nah, you weren't. I was like, fucking knew it. Like, she, oh, she made it years later. We both laughed about it. I found it hilarious. She was like, well, we're not going to tell you that when you were 10 now, are we? I was like, that is a valid point. <laughs> yeah, that, that that's fair, but uh, I mean... I don't give a shit. Like most people, well, are, no. most people are accidents. Shit well, you're happens. here now, and it's a blast. See, see, people might be like, "Oh, this person's an oops child," but oops, people, uh, oops, people. This is a horrible thing I'm saying, but oops, people are like a blessing in the sky. You know, at the time, people might be like, 
thinking, crap, we didn't mean to have this baby. The baby comes along and turns out to be one of the best things or the best thing in their life. So, you know, I mean, don't always put down oops babies. They will definitely be up. I mean, i pretty sure I'm not an oops baby. Being an only child, you know, they either wanted to have a child or they didn't want to have a child. Uh, you, and know, you know I was an accident based on the fact that I was born when my mum was like 25. My dad was 27. My brother was not born until my mum was 31. Like, that was like years. Like, that's an indication as well. It's like, if they could have waited until then, they fucking would have. And they, like, yeah. my, brother, my brother was planned. I know that. because, And I like to remind him of this all the time. Cause what? I, no. I like to remind him of this because there's a reason why that fucker was planned and it amuses me every day. So I'm like five years old or some shit. Five going on six years old. I'm at that age where I'm wanting a lot of attention. My parents are getting sick of my shit because I'm like, can you play with me? And they're like, we've got work to do. No. And I'm so like, kicking off a bus. Such a needy child. I'm just like any other kid. I'm like, play the fucking game. And they're like, no. So my parents' logic, whatever fucking logic this was, was, um, you know what? Let's have a second kid so she has a friend to play with. Like, they can, like, play with the toys and everything, and then she's got someone to hang out with. My brother was born to be my court jester. There's no other reason for that little fucker to be on this planet other than my source of entertainment, and quite frankly, he failed at his job. So, every now and again, every now and again, when he thinks that he's the fucking shit and the best thing on the planet, and he needs humbling, because sometimes the fucker needs humbling, I look him dead in the eyes and I just go, you are literally here to be my dancing monkey, and quite frankly, you've done a terrible job. I just want to, to remind you that that is the only reason why you're here. I mean, <laughs> not gonna lie, he probably he probably took a look at you and you're going. I'm thinking, yeah, I don't want to have anything to do with that. It was just so, so fucking funny. I do it all the time. That's oh god, What's that's really, that like that's really, a horrible thing to say. It, yeah, but everyone, everyone who has a sibling knows for a fact that you always that you traumatize them from a very young age by telling them that they were adopted. You always do it, and it's fucking hilarious. Like, everyone has to traumatise a sibling when they're at least, like, three or four so they can understand what you're saying, but just enough so they cry about it. And you constantly just go, you're adopted, no one fucking wanted you. And you do it up until they realise that that's not true. Oh, yeah, but you can't, you can't do that down here. Like, fucking, you say, someone could have said to me, oh, you're adopted. And then I, as a kid, I would have been like, no, that's not true. Because you have every person under the sun around here, when you see me or any child in that fan, and go, oh, you look half like your dad. You know, everyone will say that you look like your parents. So if someone said that you were adopted, it's like, well, there's no way. I've had about 20 other folk tell me I look exactly like my dad. There's no way that I'm going to be adopted. I didn't ever say my brother was Just, smart. Everyone does I, all I, the I, time. I, I get all the time. I never said my brother was smart. Like... They, my brother tried well, I never said he was dumb, but... Fucking stupid little shit. Like, he's tried doing... Inherited the genes from you. Shut up, man. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He, he he tried to reverse it on me quite a few times by telling me I'm adopted. And I just looked at him and went, 
We get confused between my childhood pictures and my mum's. Do you really want to test this? Like, genuinely, there's pictures... Like, if you, there was a moment where there was, like, a picture of me and a picture of my mum in, like, a drawer in the, like, in the house. Because then we're flicking through them and pictures got muddled up from, like, my childhood and hers, whatever. And there was a moment where I was like, oh, wait, here's the picture of, mo- here's a picture of me. And they'd be like, no, that's your mum. And it was, like, spitting image. So What, no, your mum's emo? This was when... No, primary school pictures. Oh. But, like... The the difference was like it was it was quite like yeah it's got like it's obvious that they're my parents but like my brother tried reversing it on me when he must have been about six or seven and I'm there like thirteen years old being you know like, reverse card like you fucking you little shit you can't like no it's not how it works but yeah um I've done the whole like no Ben you the only reason why you're here is to be my like get source of entertainment and you I would just it. like to think that he was born because the f- your parents wanted to have another child that was of the opposite gender just to see what it was like. In 50-50 chance, of course. I'd like to think that's why he was born. I'd like to think that most families have a second child because they want to have a child of another gender or they just want to, to raise two children. No, they've, and... no, they've openly admitted that's the reason why he was born. That's, they've openly admitted that. What some family you have? They've literally openly admitted that the reason why they decided to have a second kid was so I would have a friend. That was it. It was literally like, right, we don't want to go playing out because this is a rough area. We need someone to basically entertain her because we need to fucking work. And she's annoying as she's an annoying little bastard. So let's have another kid so they can take over that role that is literally they have they've admitted this this is literally what they've said to me and that's the reason why i tell them all the time i mean at this point my parents are gonna have to come up with some brilliant answer if they were to have another kid now because there is no way accident accident yeah i mean when is there is is like siblings like a ridiculously big age gap accident Oh, well, yeah, well, because you know how old I am, and then, and considering how old my parents are, yeah. if another child came all the way, I, I, I wouldn't say no to have another sibling, um, nonetheless, but, you know, uh, so long being uh, only child, to then have a sibling, it's like, oh, yeah, it just like, feel uh, off-filtered. I was an only child for six years, and when I wasn't anymore, that was fucking stupid. I mean, six years isn't a lot compared to if it was now for me, where I'm turning just... 23 this year. I was already used to the attention at this point. Like, wow, you're such an attention whore. I've always been an attention whore. Like, you know, I'll, I'll fucking admit that. Like, always. Yeah. No, that, that, I'll openly admit that. So, um, obviously, uh, David had been quite religious, uh, but he said that his faith was shaken after the death of his mother, and he later delved into Judaism and into the Baptist faith. Eventually, he lost interest in religion altogether. Now, he said the reason why he lost interest in religion altogether was because there was too much hell involved. However, uh, he then decided to join a satanic cult. Wait, he decided because there's too much hell involved and then joins a satanic cult, yeah. which yeah. most of their ideologies are based on hell. Yeah. yeah. Um, some smart logic there. I mean, if you believe in Satanism and the hell and everything like that, or you believe in religion or anything, it's... I mean, it's it's always weird when someone does this sort of 360 where they're like, oh, I, I do the religious stuff, and then they do the complete 360... Uh, sorry, 180, I should say. 
and then go to the opposite end of like, yeah, I practice Satanism and worship the devil. Like, how 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 you go from one end to the other just blows my mind when people do that, you know. Because they, they seem so set in stone following the religious thing, and then something must click for them to just want to change paths and then just worship the devil. Oh, yeah, yeah, 100%. But it's just like, it's the way he just says that, that there's too much hell in normal religion, so it's like, well, not in just every other religion, so he's like, you know what? You know what we need? We need to go to a satanic cult. Yeah, I mean... Logic. They're kind of... Well, I wasn't going to say, like... Well, they kind of are scary satanic cults. Because just the idea of that stuff happening under the watchful eye and what sort of stuff they believe in terms of tribute, etc., etc. Because I know that some things in religion are a little bit messed up. But, you know... I think there's way more messed up things and obviously there's more messed up things happening in the satanic stuff that just doesn't get talked about. And I, I think it's weird that maybe, you know, it's the thought of like, there could be like a satanic cult where you live. You just don't know about it. It's in the shadows, you know, kind of like in Hot Fuzz when the townsfolk were killing off others but nobody knew about it. It was kept hidden under the shadows. Maybe there is a satanic cult in Manchester. Probably in your is. area. Probably is. So yeah, um, whilst in the cult, he made a blood pact to always serve the devil. Ah. Loving the lack of hell there, David. Um, One quote that he said was when he was caught was, um, he said, uh, come into me, my lord, and take control of my vessel. Now that is very filthy, David. And I would advise you to not tell the police your dirty talk. Because that is... Yeah, that, that pickup line won't work on women. Oh God, no. It would not. I can actually see that being someone's Tinder bio. Like, I can see that being someone's Hinge or Tinder bio. I can 100% see someone. Yeah, it. just like quoting That's... that from thinking it's like cool and edgy when it's like, you've just quote what a serial killer said. That's not good. Uh, yeah, but if I saw that, I'd reply back to it going, fuck off, David Berkowitz. Yeah, I would say, I would say, yeah, maybe when I, because there's a few things I see on profiles where I'm like, look. You quoting this person, or you saying that in your head's a good idea, but in reality it's not because I know exactly where you've gotten it from. And if it's something fucked, am I hell gonna be thinking, yeah, that's a green flag? God, oh my god, I'm actually, I'm actually intrigued to know if someone actually had in their Tinder profile or Hinge profile. That would be fucking stupid. Oh. Yeah, I mean, I've seen some questionable shit on Hinge. I've seen some weird shit. Tinder as well. Like, like normally if people don't want to talk on dating apps, they just go, "Do you have Instagram? That I can talk to you on." You're like, "Yeah, yeah, sure. Here's my Instagram. You talk over message over the, on there instead of on Tinder." But this guy today has just straight up gone, "Oh, you're gonna give me your phone number?" I'd said like, all he's asked me is where I'm from. That was it, and then just goes, "Cool, can I get your phone number?" It's like, dude, no. Not giving out my phone number to a random no. dude on Tinder, you fucking weirdo. What, 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 what you should usually do is they go, have you got Instagram? And you go, yes, uh, True Crime Friday podcast. Oh, no, sorry, that's the podcast that I do. Uh, you can follow that one anyway. Here's my actual Instagram. You know, just plug it's that before. It's in my Tinder bio that I'm doing a podcast. I, I have it in my bios yeah, as well. Yeah, it's a good start. I it's do. A, it's a good, it's a good um, conversation starter. Yeah, we will say, I guess if anyone does anything, don't feel ashamed. I felt ashamed at the beginning to kind of promo things when I could because I felt like I was a bit scummy being like oh just mention it here when I can people ask but, me though people ask me like yeah I've, I've I, no one asked me though <laughs> but uh, I've come to 
to learn that, you know, it's just okay to, if you have something, promote it in places where you think that people might see it and it's okay. Because I was resentful putting on the dating profiles, but I went, hey, if it's something I do, why not? So uh, if anyone is listening to you something, do that. I encourage you. I do with the band as well. Actually, if we look on, I'm pretty sure if you go to my Discord, not that anyone can, yeah, I have the uh, my band and the uh, uh, podcast in my bio. Because self-promo, you know. And uh, I guess if other people like serial killers, you know, they could see that and we can bond over our love of fucked people. Weird way of thinking about it, but you get the idea. Yeah, like on my Hinge, uh, you know, on Hinge, it's like, oh, a weird fact about you or something. Mine is, I know really weird facts about serial killers that they don't put in the documentaries because that's a good way for people to reply back going, all right, tell me one. And oh, then, so I use that okay. one, and I always just do like the really, really fucking baffling facts. Yeah, so but I, that's the thing. So I've I, seen a couple people on their profiles be like, say that they love when people talk about topics that they are really passionate about, and just like ramble on about them. So people really just love that, and I'm the type of person that is the same as well. That if I saw that, and the, and then I was like, okay, tell me a fact, and they told me this one, and just rambled on, I'd be like. You're good. So. So, yeah, at this point in time, um, it's 1975, and he only goes out of his apartment to buy food. And his behavior has become more psychotic as his paranoia grew about the outside world. So he thought, like, he claimed to psychiatrists that this was around the time he first began to hear demons urging him to kill. By Christmas 1975, his mentality kind of just blew up. Uh, During one evening, he took a large hunting knife and cruised around the city looking for young girls. Two women, one just 15 years old, were attacked. Uh, Miraculously, both girls survived. On the 29th of July 1976, he decided to go back out again. But this time, he had moved into a family home in the Bronx... That night, two girls, 18-year-old Donna Lurie and 19-year-old Jody Velatini, were taking in Jody, were talking in Jody's parked car outside Lurie's family apartment. Her parents arrived and cautioned her to go in due to the, how late it was. Shortly after they got inside, a man appeared at the side of the pa- passenger door of the car. Uh, so her parents went back inside. Uh, while the girls were still in the car, uh, a man appeared at the passenger door. The girls were scared shitless and in sec- and within, within seconds the man pulled out a .44 bulldog handgun from a paper bag and fired five times. Jody was shot in the thigh and leaned on the horn as the man continued firing, emptying the chamber. Donna was killed immediately and her distressed father, still wearing his pyjamas, rushed, rushed his young daughter to hospital but she was pronounced dead. He said that after he did his first... Uh, David said after he did his first murder... Uh, whilst I didn't have a physical orgasm, I definitely had a mental one. Fuck off, you douchebag. I didn't have a physical orgasm, but I had a mental one. How do you have a mental orgasm? I don't fucking know. Like, I've been like... You know, you've been satisfied when you've heard like, as part of a song, you know what I mean? It gets you, like, gives you goosebumps. Like, I won't say that's that. Like, I don't know how you can have a mental orgasm. Like, you're just happy with yourself. Fuck off, you... He sounds like a hipster. I feel happy today. Oh, God. (laughs) Sorry about that. But, like, I've jokingly said, like, oh, I listen to someone and, oh, that makes me nut. 
but it doesn't actually make me nut. You know what I mean? Yeah. You just say it in the sense of like that was really, really good to the point where it imaginary would give you that sort of you know pleasurable satisfaction. But that actually happening, how? I say it in just a way to emphasize how good something is. Like that would that's never possible. I mean, if any lady or man's listening and that's actually happened, then that's a bit weird. How the fuck's that happen? <laughs> Uh, I, don't, I don't even want to know. So a pretty good description of David was given to the police, as well as a description of his bright yellow Ford Galaxy, which was spotted at many of the other crime scenes. Police at the time had no indication that this was the work of a would-be serial killer. Little did they know that David that little did know that David Berkowitz had chosen his weapon of preference and intended to kill and maim many more citizens. Three months later, on the night of the 23rd of October, 21-year-old Carl De Niro was chatting to college girl Rosemary Keenan in a bar. They both left the venue after 2.30am and drove to his drove in his car to her house. As they were talking, Berkowitz suddenly appeared at the passenger window and once again fired five times. Carl was wounded in the head, but Rosemary was able to drive away and rush him to hospital. He survived this, but had to have a metal plate inserted in his skull. This man is called Carl De Niro and has a metal plate in his skull. I'm not going to lie, Carl. This is a horrific thing that happened to you, but you got some fucking fake stories that you can come up with. You've got the coolest pickup line ever. Yeah. I mean, he could be like, I was shot in the head and I've got a metal plate in my skull. My name's Carl De Niro. Like, I mean, he probably, this man, used the fact his last name was De the Niro. same as yeah. someone else and said, I'm related, you know. Because I knew. Yeah, um, he's got a bonus. Yeah, he does, but I knew. Um, uh, who the hell was it? Um, well, that's what's not, his not even name? Weird to use the fact that you got a metal plate in your skull as a pickup line. I've got a mate that used the fact that you had ah. heart surgery as a pickup line. That's who it is. It's uh, Jared Hasselhoff from the Bloodhound Gang. He used to jokingly say that he was related to David Hasselhoff because they, they shared the last name sort of thing. So I guess he, he probably played on that a couple of times going, because people would have said, your last name are you? Yep, I'm definitely related to that person you're thinking of. Yeah. Yeah, most likely. Uh, so on the 26th of November 1976, two young girls were returning home after having been to the movies. This was 16-year-old Donna DiMassi and her friend 18-year-old Joanne Lomino. They stopped at her house when she noticed a man hovering nearby. Joanne urged Donna to quicken up their pace. This time Berkowitz spoke, asking them where he was. He didn't even give them time to reply as he pulled out a gun and fired, hitting them both. Berkowitz then fired at a house as he ran away. Her parents rushed out to the tragic scene, although Donna was lucky as the bullet had, ex- had actually left her body. Joanne's spine was shattered and she was left, like, paralysed. The police, Ouch. Yeah. So the police still didn't realise that these were separate, that these separate attacks taking place in Brooklyn and Queens were linked. Uh, only one bullet was recovered from the scene of the crime. The following year, Berkowitz carried out his cowardly attacks again. On the 30th of January 1977, 26-year-old Christine Fund and her fiancé John Deal were walking back to their car after a night in Queen after a night in a Queens wine bar. It was 10 past 12 in the morning as they sat chatting in the car. 
Two shots were shattered. Two shots shattered the windshield, hitting Christine in the head. John lay her down on the driver's seat while he ran for help. Christine then died in hospital. Police were now waking up to the disturbing realization that they may have a serial killer on their hands. Two forceful police figures, Captain Joe Borelli and Detective Sergeant Joe Coffey, were now working on this latest homicide and looking at the previous attacks. First thing that stood out about the shootings was that the was the unusual kind of gun that was used, which was a large caliber firearm. Soon they realized that Christine's murder matched those of the previous shootings. It was then revealed that the gun was a 44 chamber arms bulldog. Uh, Borelli put together a homicide task force, but with no specific leads, as it appeared that the killings were the random work of a maniac. Uh, Virginia uh, Voskarian, a college student returning home from classes, was to be the next victim on the night of the 8th of March 1977. She was walking in, in Forest Hill Gardens when Berkowitz approached her from the opposite direction. He pulled out his gun and Virginia instantly held up her books to protect her. The single bullet hit her directly in the face, killing her straight away. As he ran away, the psychopath even said hi to a passing man. He may have been caught there and then by passing by passing a patrol car if it wasn't for the fact that they had abandoned chasing what they thought was just a suspicious man. Instead, they went straight to the scene of the crime. So police actually saw him running away. And, oh. yeah, didn't chase after him. Because they didn't think that he'd just done that crime because they didn't realise it had been taking place up until he, he'd already gone. So the magnitude of what, police, of what the police force was facing was now beginning to sink in a bit. The latest brutal murder of a, of a young girl with her life ahead of her was a wake-up call as the kind of disturbed mind they were dealing with. A press conference announced details of the killer as being a white male, 25 to 30, 6 feet tall with, and with dark hair. Operation Omega was set up by Detective Inspector Timothy Dowd. Dowd was a highly intelligent and well-educated uh, officer and it wasn't long before his persistence was to be put to the test with this next murder. On the 17th of April 1977, a close to the area where previous victim Donna Laurie had been murdered, a young couple sat kissing in a parked car. Valentina Sorini was an 18-year-old actress and model who was in love with Alexander Isu, her 20-year-old boyfriend. At 3am, a car pulled up alongside them and Berkowitz took out his .44 and shot, them, and shot one of them twice and both of them were killed. No, sorry, he shot each of them twice. Both of them were killed. Valentina instantly, while Alexander later died in hospital. In a matter that reflected the style of Jack the Ripper, Berkowitz left a letter addressed to Captain Borelli. This was the first time he referred to himself as the Son of Sam. I hate when they... I hate when the press gives them nicknames, but I find it so cringy when they give themselves nicknames. Yeah, because, you know... It, it's one of the situations where, like, someone's committing a crime, and like, oh, I need, and then they think to themselves, I need to have a name, yeah. just so I can be like remembered in some sort of way, you know. I guess if you're doing something in a profession where it's going to give you fame and for a good thing, then you think to yourself, right, I'll come up with a name for myself, you know, like musicians or like film directors, alternate egos, yeah. But when it's like a criminal or fucked person, that's like, right, uh, people are going to know me for this fucked thing. I need to get myself a name. 
it's just like, oh, come on. Really? Yeah, like, BTK gave himself the nickname BTK. And it's so fucking cringy. So the, poli- the police developed a more detailed profile of the killer. They knew that he was a paranoid schizophrenic with delusions, uh, who, 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 with delusions, who believed that he was possessed by demons. There was little doubt that he was a that he was a loner and most likely had never had experienced a successful relationship. Pretty much bang on David Berkowitz right there. The Omega Task Force was dealing with hundreds of calls and testimonies from the public. Every call and suspect had to be checked. It was time-consuming, and the psychological strain on the police force to catch this to catch this killer was eating away at them. The media attention most likely gave Berkowitz a thrill, making him believe that he was now important and an infamous celebrity. He wrote another letter, this time to a reporter, the Daily News. Again, it was a rambling, like, rant uh, to them. It said, Hello from the gutters of NYC, which is filled with dog manure, vomit, stale wine, urine, and blood. Hello from the sewers of NYC, which swallow up these delicacies when they are washed away by the sweeper trucks. I don't know. I don't know. This very weird letter included a lot of disturbing references to one of his previous victims, Donna Laurie, describing her as a sweet girl. The letter ended with a chilling reminder that the writer was going to kill again by saying, you will see my handiwork at the next job. Gross. Uh, The police requested that the newspaper withheld some aspects of the letter, most likely to make sure that they had the means to identify copycat killers or people who were just sending in fake letters to get a thrill who weren't actually the killer. Yeah, I don't understand. Why the fuck fucking do that? I don't know, but we had it with um, the Yorkshire Ripper. Like, you had that like, guy that sent in the tapes and yeah. and the fucking letters, and the police literally, instead of focusing on the actual Yorkshire Ripper, they went directly to these fake tapes and letters to the point where they were playing the tapes out in nightclubs and around the cities of Yorkshire, mostly in Leeds, because they thought that the killer was actually sending all this stuff in. It turns out it was just a guy that lived in Sunderland. You're just as fucked and responsible if oh, you're yeah. if you're fucking sending false shit. What you may think is, oh, yeah, this is funny. It's fucking not. You're fucking and dettering uh, a case going on. And that is the worst thing that you can do. It's like, why? You know, what do you get out of that? Nothing, you know. Because you're all fine and dandy. You think fucking around with someone who's going out and actively killing, you know, others is a good thing to do. It's not. I fucking hate when when I hear about that happening. About someone just falsifying, you know, like stuff and sending it in and leading the trail away. It's just fucked. Oh, yeah, massively. Like, that guy did eventually... Like, the the, uh, Yorkshire Ripper one did eventually get arrested and did spend that time in prison. I remember seeing something that Peter Sutcliffe himself even sent a letter to that guy because obviously both of them were caught at this point and in prison. But Peter Sutcliffe sent a letter to the guy who did the tapes saying that he's got loads of blood on his hands because of everything because it gave Peter Sutcliffe the chance to murder more people because the police were focusing on everything elsewhere. Like, yeah, it's like fuck me. You got called up by the actual guy who's doing that shit. Like you, like it was yeah. So, 
The next vital lead to the killer's identity would not come from the Omega Task Force, but from a member of the public who at the time didn't realise he had once had the killer living under his roof. So Jack Cassara, a resident of New Rochdale of New Rochdale of no New Rochelle. I was about to say Rochdale, really? Rochdale's in England. It's fucking shital. Yeah, I mean it's the set of um it was the set of Waterloo Road. Road. Yeah. I've been there. Have you? Been to the set, yeah. I mean, it's been revived again. I, I mean, I liked it when it came up to Scotland, but uh, Waterloo Road he is one of my. It was a bag of shit when he went to Scotland. Shut up. Oh, uh, shut up. It was a bag of shit. Fucking shut up. No, that's when they, that's when they killed off all the good characters. It was good when he went to Scotland. Fuck off. Just because someone's up in a fucking better country, you're up on your fucking high horse. Shit. It was shit. You fucking shit. shit. Shut down. It fucking, you can't talk. Oh, yeah. Fucking went up to Scotland. It was great. Aye, you're from fucking Manchester. You can fucking talk. Aye. Well, it's been revived and I think it was good. So don't listen to this fucking twat saying it. If you've not heard it, it, it had a season that went up to Scotland and it was just as good. So keep your fucking trap shut before I fucking shut it for you. Don't be dissing anything because it's just come up here. We make things good. We had some fuck ups, yeah. We had some fuck ups. I, I, well, I always say this, you know. You always, obviously, you know when you do a true crime podcast and then you try and say, "Oh, where you come from is great," but then you're like, "We had some fuck ups," and it's like, "Yeah, the serial killers we had from here. Oh, yeah, that's bad. Uh, that that's what brings it down." And we, uh, I've said, I said that many a time. You know, someone might be from a state and they'd be like, "Oh, yeah, our state's very good." You know, here's the good aspects, and it's like. In terms of things we fucked up on, oh, the serial killers, oh dear. So, um, right, yeah, but it, it, anyway, it was, it, anyway, he Jack Casara, shut up, <laughs> Jack Casara uh, was a resident of New Rochelle, received and he received a, a strange get well note in his mailbox. The person who left the note described how he hoped he was getting better after a fall, and also included a picture of a German Shepherd dog. It was signed from a Mr. Carr and his wife in the district of Yonkers. The odd thing was that Kassara hadn't injured himself, nor could he recall who the writer was. He called the Cars, who immediately revealed that they had too been receiving strange letters. They also had a German shepherd that they had, been, that they had found had been shot. So the couples got together and Kassara's teenage son then remembered that they once had a lodger who had left and never came back for his deposit. He'd also not taken to the family dog. The car's daughter, who worked for the Yonkers Police Department, suggested that she bring someone in to investigate. It later transpired that a man called Craig Craig Glassman, who was a deputy sheriff and neighbour of Berkowitz, had received an, an had received an anonymous letter ranting on about him and the car and the Casaras and Car families as being part of a devil worshipping demon coven. Although this was odd behaviour, it did not prove that Berkowitz was a killer, and his name simply went down on a computer file. His victims this time were young. His next victims were uh, Stacy uh, Moskowitz and Bobby Valentine. They had just been seeing a movie and then drove to a quiet spot near Gravensend Bay in Brooklyn. Eventually, they got out and went for a walk towards some swings. But when Stacy saw a suspicious character hanging around, she insisted that they head back towards the car. Despite Stacy's desire to leave there and then, Bobby convinced her to stay for a while longer. And uh, Bobby, you should have listened to Stacy. 
Because moments later, gunshots fired out and the car's windows were shattered. Stacy was shot and fell away from Bobby, who had been shot twice in the face. Bobby managed to crawl out of the car and cry for help. Stacy's injuries were severe and she died in hospital, while Bobby was left blinded in one eye and with only 20% vision in his other eye. <sighs> Following this incident, two officers, Chamberlain and Intervallo, were uh, from the Yonkers district, decided to investigate the letters that were originally sent to the, car- to the cars and Kassara's families. They also looked into the fact that two dogs, one belonging to the cars, had been shot. Checking on Bur- checking sorry one sec. Uh, checking on Burkwitz through the police computer files, they realised that he was similar to the description given by witnesses. Burkwitz lived at 35 Pine Street and the officers discovered that he was a quiet tenant who worked for a security firm in Queens. He had then quit in July 1976 and gone to work for a cab company. Chamberlain and Intervallo then spent days ringing hundreds of cab companies in the Bronx and surrounding areas in order to find his employer, but nothing turned up. But the two officers still took their findings and, letter to, and letters to New York City Detective uh, Richard Salvinson. A series of other fortunate developments occurred over the next few days, and first a witness who lived near the area where the shooting of Stacey Moskowitz and Bobby Fontaine took place came forward with a description of a man who she had seen at the time. Her sketch of the suspect bore an uncanny resemblance to David Berkowitz. Then shortly afterwards, news came through that a suspected arson had taken place at the building block where Berkowitz lived. Bet we know who did that one, don't we? When the police arrived at the scene, they questioned Craig, Cla- Craig Glassman, a male nurse. Glassman was one of the names mentioned in Berkowitz's rambling letters, describing him as being part of a demonic coven. But what astounded the officers was the fact that the arsonist had tried to set up to try to set off bullets placed in Glassman's door with the fire. Glassman was able to show the police several twenty-two caliber bullets plus several letters he had received from Berkowitz. The police noticed that they were written in the same handwriting as those sent to the cars and Casara's families. Mr. Carr had been so frustrated with the police's lack of action regarding his disclosure of Berkowitz's letters and the shooting of his dog that he went down to the police headquarters where the Omega task force was being placed. When it was pointed out to him that he was just one of hundreds of people who were convinced that they knew the identity of the son of of Sam Killer, Carr just kind of let it go and didn't interfere with it anymore. More vital evidence cropped up. Several traffic tickets that had been written in the same area as the shooting of Moskowitz and Valentine had turned up. Uh, nothing except for one belonged to Berkowitz. It was then that the police started to take seriously the statements from the Carr family, whose dog they assumed had been shot by Berkowitz. Uh, with all the evidence, including the photo sketched by a witness, the arson attack and the bullets found in Berkowitz's apartment block, plus the letters sent to the families and Glassman, it was baffling to think why it took some time for these coincidences to be seriously investigated. Because I think they got some other shit on their hands and they weren't connecting letters to this, probably. On the 10th of August 1977, 35 Pine Street was put under surveillance. The first man to come out of the apartment block and head towards Berkowitz's car turned out to be a false start when the man was revealed to be Craig Glassman himself. Several hours later, another man appeared carrying a paper bag. It was David Berkowitz. He got inside the suspect's car but didn't see the police running up behind him. 
He immediately was told to freeze and slowly get out. And when asked who he was, Dave, uh, Berkowitz said, in, said very, like, numbly, he just said, I'm Sam, I'm David Berkowitz. Sergeant, Go uh, Coff Sergeant Coffey was the first to interview Berkowitz, who calmly told him about the shootings in great detail. There was no mistaking that he was the killer, and Coffey was amazed and baffled by Berkowitz's calm demeanour. The man was clearly emotionally detached from the horror of his murderous actions. Most of them are. Most of them don't give a shit. <laughs> uh, Berkowitz's pre-murder obsession with howling dogs, canine, canine uh, conduits, uh, conduits, and demon voices indicates that he had developed acute psychosis during that time. <laughs> Before he had actually murdered anyone, he indeed shot the car's, uh, the car's German Shepherd after initially trying to poison it. He told detectives... Uh, he then told detectives was a father-like devil, a blood monster who lived in the bodies of people he knew and who needed his blood loss uh, satisfying by, killing, by the killing of innocent people. No, David. No. Just no, no, David. Just I don't know how to describe David Berkowitz in a nutshell other than like, like. <laughs> I mean, I, I you know I just I just I, I just had the photos up of him and his just you know looking at him, uh, it's just enough for me to to just be like. I can't. I can't look at this guy anymore. Just, he's got a weird look. The, the hairstyles, well, like, you know, he's not got that. He didn't not got that stereotypical serial killer look compared to some of the others. But uh, yeah, I don't really know how to describe this man. But um, incidentally enough, you know, I was just scrolling down the images here because I just try to see how much images I can get. Have to talk again of again. Why are people putting serial killers? on t-shirts and selling it why do i why have i come across one of his face on it now i don't know uh why someone's put this on a t-shirt and we said this before we don't profit from anything and we wouldn't slap someone's face on to profit from that but just the fact is that of all people he's got a t-shirt yeah. fucking why i mean there's actually a t-shirt here on on this website which i i, I kind of want to remove my history uh that's it's i mean the design looks cool to someone who might think it is but it says someone of sam and it's got like him on the front of it two dogs and it's got a, a, does he say this phrase i don't want to hurt them i only want to i don't know what that says to be fair but this uh, it's weird because this t-shirt here that i've just come across that has son of sam on it that i i mean why would you wear something like this out in public this man's clearly fucked uh, it says this shirt has been designed for James Murphy, ex testament death obituary. Okay, I don't know who that's. Tell with, oh, with his medical bills. I think that's interesting because this person here, they actually asked him what his favorite serial killer was, and they made a t shirt based on that, and the money from that will go towards profits of that. Although I don't feel comfortable still wearing a top that has a Sun of Sam on it. I wouldn't want to own it. Like, I wouldn't. But, like, I, it's just. You know, I'm just going through the images and I don't hope to find this, but the fact that I keep seeing that people are putting serial killers on t-shirts and selling it, personally, why would you wear something that has someone's fucked on it, you know? Yeah. I can understand horror stuff because it ain't real. Yeah. You know, like, if I, I wore a scream top, that's not real. Or like, you've worn um, probably some 
tops like that or maybe something like that or something anything that's horror like horror movie related yeah that's fine but i just don't get why they put actual shoe clothes on tops like you know, I don't know. That, that's enough to kind of sell someone's opinion on you if you're wearing a top on someone like that but I just i didn't expect for him to be in the top obviously the band and if the band had merch based on that then i guess that's on their cards but you know and i mean he doesn't i don't know I don't ever like to see someone's ugly, but his appearance, well, he's not that appealing, is he? No, no, 100% no. His hairstyle's a bit all over the place. It's like, I feel like it's, um... It's like a ball. He's just balding, but curly. Yeah, and it's like... It's not like that, that curly. It's that sort of, like, weird, wispy kind of curly. Yeah. If you know what I mean. And then he does obviously go balding. So... They did three separate mental health examinations to see if he was competent to stand trial. Despite this, defense lawyers advised Berkowitz to enter a plea of not guilty by reason of insanity, but he actually refused to do that. He appeared very calm in court on the 8th of May 1978, and he pleaded guilty to all of the shootings. At his sentencing two weeks later, he caused an uproar when he attempted to jump out of a window of the seventh of the seventh floor courtroom. After he was restrained, he repeatedly chanted, Stacy was a whore. I'd kill her again. I'd kill them all again. The court ordered another psychiatric examination before sentencing could proceed. During the evaluation, Berkowitz drew a sketch of a jailed man surrounded by numerous walls. At the bottom, he wrote, I am not well, not well at all. Nonetheless, he was found competent to stand trial. On the 12th of June 1978, he was sentenced 25 years to life in prison for each number to be served consecutively. He was ordered to serve time in Attica Correctional Facility, a supermax prison in upstate New York. Despite uh, prosecutors' objections, the terms of Berkowitz's guilty plea made him eligible for parole in 25 years. That would have been changed. Do not worry. After his Thank ar- God. Yeah. After his arrest, uh, he was initially confined to a psychiatric ward in Kings County Hospital, where the staff reported that he seemed remarkably troubled by his new environment. On the day after his sentencing, he was taken first to Sing Sing Prison, then to Upstate Clinton Correctional Facility for psychiatric and physical examinations. Two more months were spent at the Central New York Psychiatric Center in Marcy before his admission to Attica Prison. Berkowitz served about a decade in Attica until he was relocated to Sullivan Correctional Facility in Fallsburg, where he remained for many, many years. Later, he was transferred to Sean Gunk Correctional Facility in Ulster County. He described his life in Attica Correctional Facility as a nightmare. In 1979, there was an attempt on his life in which left the side of his neck being slashed from front to back resulting in a wound that required more than 50 stitches to close it. Berkowitz refused to identify the person who did this, and he claimed that only that he was grateful for the attack. It brought a sense of justice, or in Berkowitz's own words, the punishment I deserve. So, the thing about David Berkowitz is that he is still alive. He is still alive, he is still in prison, and he is currently uh, 69 years old. 
And yeah, so you need to bear in mind when David Berkowitz like got arrested, he is literally like he's twenty five. No, he's no, he's no, he's not. He's not. He's twenty four years old. He's he was the same age as me when he got arrested. Like that's mad to me. But yeah, he um, yeah, he's still in prison. He's not getting out. It's been twenty five years. You're good. He's still in prison. He's still in prison, and he will die in prison. And that is Son of Sam. That is David Berkowitz. It's it's weird because there's actually more musical things about Son of Sam than I actually realised. Because now that I think about it, the more we said Son of Sam, that's kind of I've not known the case, but just the saying itself, Son of Sam, is quite a popularised thing in culture, pop culture. The more I think about it, because the more we said, I've been like, I actually do remember people saying "Son of Sam." I mean, obviously, I want to read out the music stuff because there's some stuff here. I'm like, oh, okay, that makes sense now. Um, obviously, obviously, Psycho. It says here that apparently people were stay, uh, associating it with Psycho Killer by the Talking Heads. Um, but yeah, uh, obviously, um, "Son of Sam" by the Dead Boys. Uh, the, 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 the clue makes sense now. Son of Sam by Chain Gam. Are you receiving me by XTC? And then obviously, looking down the barrel of a gun by the Beastie Boys. I didn't realize that was uh, to do with that, but it makes sense now. I uh, did not either, and I grew, Chris, I grew up listening to the Beastie Boys. Chris Cal- Calico, Chris Calico, is an album in 2013 titled Son of Sam. Lucky's 2016 EP, Son of Sam, features artwork depicting a page from the first Son of Sam letter, and then this one, Insane in the Brain by Cypress Hill. Um, Todd Run- Rundragan mentions the Son of Sam in his song Bag Lady from Hermit Milk, Hermit of Milk Honey. Billy Joel mentioned these events in the opening line of his song Close to the Border Line on the Glass House, and then this one, oh, I didn't know, but makes sense, obviously, now. Uh, guitarist Scott... P-U-T-E Pootsky used the stage name Daisy Berkowitz while playing obviously with Marilyn Manson because um, anyone who's played in Marilyn Manson used the, the sort of stage names in the play on serial killer's words so obviously Daisy Berkowitz is a play on him Yeah. and and the band is a song called uh, Son of Man and then we obviously mentioned Son of Sam the band and then Shinedown have a song called Son of Sam and then apparently a cartoon composite of Berkowitz and the breakfast cereal icon Toucan Sam was featured in Green Jelly's comedy rock video serial killer by the name Toucan Son of Sam, but obviously Kellogg's filed a lawsuit. I find that hilarious, though, that they took the, the, the breakfast icon Toucan Sam, who's the guy for Fruit Loops, I believe. It's not a thing in the UK, Fruit Loops. No. But they, they, they called him Toucan Son of Sam, and then Kellogg's like, you cannot have our famous Toucan depicting a serial killer. No. Horrible. But yeah, I mean, you mentioned the Netflix thing. I've not seen that. Yeah, there is uh, a documentary on Netflix about Son of Sam. Um, I watched it. Go check it out. I watch it to see if they mention, like, main key things. Uh, but yeah, go check it out. It's a good, it's, it's a fairly good watch. I definitely recommend it. Um, there's think, a lot of other things as well in other TVs and films that they kind of reference. People seem to be doing that a lot now. They'll just reference. He's in Mindhunter. I'm pretty sure he's got. There's an episode of Mindhunter ah, about him. Oliver Cooper portrayed him in the TV series Mindhunter. Yeah, there we go. I knew it was on Mindhunter. I'm not watching. Uh, Mindhunter. Right, weirdly enough, I've not watched Mindhunter. I've just started Criminal Minds, and I'm kind of loving that. Um, but yeah, 
that was David Berkowitz, Son of Sam. Um, oh, this thing here I've just read, which I think is very weird. It says, decades after his arrest, the name Son of Sam remains widely regarded as, uh, as that of a notorious serial uh, blah, blah, blah. Um, while Berkowitz himself continues to express remorse on Christian websites. And then Nisa, uh, well, Mosokowitz, who previously had not hidden her hatred of Berkowitz, wrote him a letter shortly before her own death in 2006, forgiving him for killing his daughter, Stacy. Why are you people forgiving serial killers for killing their children and family members? I could never forgive someone. I just thought that was... And the fact he's, he expresses remorse on Christian websites. Bro, you can't do the satanic stuff and then go, oh, sorry, it was a mistake, and try and come back. You've gone to the opposite end of what the Christians fucking believe. Like the devil and shit, and you can't express remorse from the Christians hoping them to get like, you know, please forgive me. What? I think that's nuts. I I don't know how that keeps happening. Fucking people apologizing for uh, folk killing their family members. Why would you ever do that? It's fucking stupid. Yeah, I don't get that. Yeah, that was David Berkowitz. Everyone, did you enjoy this one? I mean, I did. I mean, now I know what Son of Sam actually is, because from hearing it, because obviously, as I mentioned, it rang a bell, but now I know the actual case of David Berkowitz. And I mean, it was different on the fact there wasn't as much fucked things in the sort of like childhood or anything. It's just, like later on, the crimes happen. I mean, there's a lot of cases we do where it's kind of set the tone when we talk about them when they're younger. All the fuck thing, fuck stuff that happens, and you're like, oh boy, we're in for a trip. But you know, it was kind of like normal, and you know, the whole thing of like the adoption papers and everything. It's you know quite like oh saddish tone that's set in the start, and then obviously he does the killings. Like this guy's a uh, fucking cunt. Yeah. But yeah, uh, next week your week. Yeah, I'll I'll uh, I'll figure out someone. I wonder, I wonder, you know, as I might pick someone where their name is just as infamous as Son of Sam in culture, pop culture. Who knows? Yeah, fuck it. I'm intrigued to see what you come up with. But yeah, thank you guys for listening, and we shall see you next week. Also, thank you guys because we have just hit 1.5k plays on the podcast. Woo! I. Remember uh, when we hit 1K, I was like, okay, uh, this time next year, which was the end of the year, it was the end of 2022, I was like, we're going to hit 2K at the end of 2023. I'm reckoning a long shot, but I think that we could hit 2K by the time I go to download in June at this rate. I mean, we must be picking good cases. So, you know, I always worry that if the case I pick... Next for like next episode that I do is gonna be poo. But if the numbers are going up, you're clearly liking them. So, well, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, thank you guys. We shall see you next week. Bye. Bye.